0: Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank.
1: Well, hey, thanks for joining us on the American Potential podcast. We're going to talk about ESG today and how it could be affecting your retirement account and how it's affecting businesses and taxpayers all across America. And so we're gonna to get to that uh, in just a second, but I do want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast. We're in our I think about eleven weeks we've been going now on the podcast, and the growth has been great. It's been amazing to watch as uh, as the number of episodes, downloads, and views on YouTube and other things have have really uh, exploded. And so we're excited uh, to do that and continue to bring you these stories. Uh, but for now, we'll talk about ESGs, Environmental, Social, and Governance Score, or ESG. Did you ever hear of that? Did you know what it is? Do you know how it will affect you and how it's already affecting businesses? On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the environmental part of ESG. Our guest works in the energy industry and has to deal with this top-down approach, not only from the government, but from the financial industry as well. So, what are some of the regulations his company faces because of ESG, and how has his company addressed it, and is there any way to roll back some of these restrictions? Chris Wright serves as the CEO and Chairman of Liberty Oil Field Services, and He's also worked on other forms of energy such as fusion, solar, and geothermal energy, which makes him unique to talk about this subject. Chris, thanks for coming onto the podcast. You bet, Jeff. And
0: we actually changed our name to Liberty Energy about a year ago, and it's an important change. Okay. Well, tell us about that. Tell us about your company, first of all. Yeah, so uh, I, st- I started this company with some, some friends and partners about 12 years ago. And we today frack about 15% of all the wells drilled in the United States and Canada. And if you run through that math of how much energy comes out of those wells, it's about 8% of total U.S. primary energy. In other words, twice the amount of energy that's produced from all the wind and solar nationwide. So we, and we, we use the name Liberty Energy because it's simple and it's clean, and two Things enabled the rise of the modern world that doubled human life expectancy, that bottom-up social organization, ending of slavery, enfranchisement of women, opportunity spread across the world. The modern world really was enabled by two things, the rise of bottom-up social organization, human liberty, and the arrival of hydrocarbons that just massively supercharged the available energy for humans. To, to build planes, trains, and automobiles and modern medicine and do all the things that we associate with life today, but that were all virtually non existent 200 years ago.
1: So well put. And, you know, I think we've forgotten how good we have it in America and the reasons why we have it so good in, in America and in our modern society. A lot of that comes from the production of energy and the standard of living that we all are accustomed to and that isn't the case around the world is it no it's not it's
0: not the case but yeah it, it is i used to say when i gave talks in schools i used to say the arrival of human liberty was first and it was sort of this independent thing and as it once you free humans you know you can't build a skyscraper or a car or or anything associated with medicine or communications with just wood and 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 sort of easily processed metals you needed hydrocarbons to create all these wonderful things we have. But as the closer I look into that, the causation, I think, runs both ways. And maybe even more predominantly from a better energized society enabled a different social organization, a freer society. I write a little bit about this in our Bettering Human Lives report that came out last summer. And if you look at the Dutch Golden Age in the early 1600s, and then really the great rise of sort of modern political freedom in the United Kingdom, they both followed the huge rise in transitions of the energy systems, not the other way around.
1: You are an expert on this stuff. You've you've spoken before the House of Lords um, on energy policy, uh, state attorneys general, the federal and state judges. You've debated the merits of the shale revolution on television. And you, you've, you talk a lot about this. So we're, we're thrilled to have you on because, because you're quite an expert on, on energy. And in fact, I, as you were talking earlier, I want to have you come back and talk at, at some point on another episode, if we can get you about, about energy and, and why, you know, what it is that's restricting, well, what's, what's causing the price of gas to increase and which, what government barriers are being put up in front of, oil and gas producers in the United States to be, you know, totally self-reliant on that. So, so I want to talk about that on another podcast, but, but you'd be just a great guest for that. It's a
0: critical dialogue and let's do that, Jeff. We'll do that separately, but yeah, it's a critical for what's going on in the world today.
1: Okay. Now ESG, I think people, you know, the American people hear that and and they hear ESG, what is that? What does it stand for? What does it mean? Explain what ESG is. So it's like a lot of these things, it's innocuous
0: and it sounds great. We want corporations to be concerned about the environment, about the societies and social structures that, that, that surround them, that's the S, and that they should be governed, aligned with the ownership of the company. They should be governed in a fair and reasonable way that respects the ownership of the company. Companies shouldn't be governed to protect management. They should be governed in the, in the, in the realm that's best for the owners of the business. And of course, all three of these ideas are totally reasonable um, and are great things. And of course, governance is a critical issue. There have been flaws more recently in how a lot of companies have been run, a little bit too aligned with the management of the company, not as not as closely aligned with the ownership as they should be. So there's like a reasonable critique there. but almost all the noise and all the talk in our industry about ESG, it's mostly around the E. The environment, and unfortunately, it isn't really a broad-based environment thing. It's really been, uh, it's really been a myopic focus on climate change, and and uh, so in any case, yeah. So ESG, as it stands today, is big investment companies send out forms and have you report various things so they can evaluate how good your company is in the E, the S, and the G. And, uh, and I've been a relatively vocal critic of this movement because, yeah, as I said at the start, Jeff, two things created the modern world, bottom-up social organization and the arrival and diffusion of hydrocarbons across the world. And the ESG movement, as it impacts my industry, the energy industry, has mostly been opposing both of those forces that created the modern world. They want a top-down view. We're going to tell you how we define your company as virtuous or not. Here's these categories, generally skin deep categories about employees that we want you to tally up the numbers and based on the percentages, it's going to imply a, a degree of virtue of you. And then their E focus has been almost entirely about greenhouse gas emissions. What are your scope one emissions? What are your scope two? I'll have to explain what those are and your scope three emissions. But it's been this just myopic focus on greenhouse gas emissions. So we wrote a report two years ago at Liberty called bettering human lives which we call our ESG report but it's more a response to ESG saying the focus has been wrong and here's what here are the things we really care about in our company which is human freedom human liberty to pursue whatever your dreams and passions are and we need to remove barriers to human freedom not start recategorizing people by skin color or gender or sexual preference that's not that's not human freedom um, and that we write in this report about how critical hydrocarbons have been to creating the modern world, and that the challenge with hydrocarbons today isn't that we have too many of them, we need to get away, with, get away from them quickly. It's that one third of humanity, two and a half billion people, are cooking their daily meals, burning wood, dung, and agricultural waste inside their homes and huts. And this kills three to four million people every year. That's the biggest issue with, with, with energy today. It's not, it's, it, it's not what the ESG movement is, is all riled up about. It's lack of energy access. That's, that's, there I'm talking about the very poor in the world, but even in our own country, so many people, the cost and availability of energy, it constrains the opportunities they have in life. We want to reduce those constraints and make people have broader and broader opportunities to pursue whatever their dreams are and have higher quality of lives. Sorry for the long rambling, Jeff, no. but that, that's what ESG is, and that's, that's the stance we've taken against its current incarnation.
1: Yeah, and this is really about empowering people and, and letting them live better lives around the world, and, and, that, and you, you clearly talk about that and think about that. Let, let me, before we have the critics go after you on this, let me, let me let you set the record straight, because there will be some say, oh, look, this is this guy's a fracker. He's he he's there to to make money off of energy, and so he's just saying these things. How do you answer that?
0: Well, I again I answer it in the form of, of a hundred page report. It's all extensively referenced. Um, I've been speaking on energy and climate change for twenty plus years, so yeah, the critiquing the credentials or you know is really the wrong way to look at it. Please, right. if you, if you disagree with me, and of course a lot of people do engage with my ideas. Right. Tell me what it is that I say that's incorrect. And in fact, usually the critique is, well, he's in the oil and gas business. Of course, they probably deny climate change. That's, a, that's such a biased reference. Well, I, do, I, I have not seen any other corporate or ESG report with a 16-page long section on climate change. I overview what climate change is, the basic chemistry and physics of it, the historical data of the rising a CO2 concentration in our atmosphere, the temperature record, the extreme weather record. There's a section on the climate economics. What are the trade-offs of lowering greenhouse gas emissions versus making energy more expensive or less available? My my whole thing is let's be rational and thoughtful about our our responses to climate change. If you're going to spend $100 and you're going to get $2 of benefit, that's a $98 impoverishment program. Nobody would be in favor of that. But so much of what's done today in the name of climate change is just that. It's large expenditures of money today that make life harder for the average American and citizens of the world. And for for the own economic models, they bring very little benefit to future generations. We will ultimately bring down greenhouse gas emissions through technology, better technology to produce energy. And of course, the world has been decarbonizing for 150 years. Coal is much lower greenhouse gas intensity than wood. Oil is lower than coal. Natural gas is lower than oil. Nuclear is really the next big step in that path of very low greenhouse gas intensity, high energy density, reliable, dispatchable energy. There's some next generation nuclear, that liber- the next generation geothermal that Liberty is also working on that's low CO2 footprint and dispatchable, reliable energy. So we're all about driving the future of the energy system. But today, that the investment is almost all into wind and solar and sort of battery technology and supporting storages. I worked on solar energy 30 years ago. I'm all in for any energy technology that'll provide affordable, reliable energy to make lives better. Wind and solar, unfortunately, are just so low energy density and such high intermittency, unreliability. That they, they 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 have almost no prospect of of providing a meaningful amount of bettering human lives energy to our planet. And we're spending so much money in the wrong direction. And then if we were just investing in new energies, that would be one thing. But that hasn't driven an energy transition. It hasn't brought the satisfaction that those that want to redesign society from top down are desiring. So now that's shifted the last five or eight years into not just promoting new energy. But active obstruction of energy that powers the world today, and 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 what's the net result of that? More expensive energy, good for my business, good for my customers' business, but uh, but reduced quality of life for everyone else on the planet. No, nothing good comes from making energy more expensive and less reliable.
1: Right, right. And you you just bought yourself a third podcast episode because now we got all this to to talk about as well. <laughs> so I'm going to definitely invite you back. On, that. Let me, on, on ESGs, where's all this ESG pressure coming from? Where does it come from? So I think, you know, like when I wrote this report, Bettering
0: Human Lives, I did some interviews with major publications and they said, Chris, aren't you worried that these investment firms, the large owners of your firm, they're going to be angry at you. You're not pledging net zero. You're not pledging in alignment with the Paris Climate Accords. I said, I'm not worried about that at all. If you look at the trade-offs and the economics, The work done by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they don't endorse the Paraclimate Accords at all. In fact, they show it to be a massive, a massive human impoverishment program. So when I engage with those investment firms who are large owners of our company, because we're a public company and have been for five years, when I engage with them, it's really pressure behind them. You know, It maybe comes from university endowments or state pension funds. Mm -hmm. It's usually... Again, some people managing other people's money and people in those roles quite often have gotten, gotten spun out of, out of perspective on climate change, for example, or on what's the right road to bettering human lives on the social front. And they have their own views and their own agendas. I think they're wrong, and I love to discuss and engage in that debate, but they're actually having an enormously powerful impact in capital markets in the world today. I think the pendulum's going to swing back. I think people people the the people whose money they're managing, right? You the state pension funds, for example, they're managing the money of the teachers or the firemen. Do the majority of the teachers and firemen want policies that'll make energy more expensive and deliver almost no climate benefits and lower investment returns for themselves? Of course they wouldn't support such a thing. But it's a small cadre of people that run these investment funds that are making these decisions. And then they're telling the large investment firms, we're only going to invest if you are studying every company and reporting on what they're doing about lowering their greenhouse gas emissions and how many people they employ that fit in this box or that box. You know, There's a movement that's had a big impact, but I think society as a whole is going to swing back and push back against that and say, when you're, when you're investing my money, you should be focused on maximizing the returns on the money I've invested. You, you can pursue your own social causes with your own money, and I'll pursue my own social causes with my money, but please, please don't do this with my money. And I think people thought, well, at least they're doing the right thing. We got to solve this climate crisis, you know, and, 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 if the, and if everything said this is clearly the right thing to do, well, heck, society would be behind it. We would go through the political process to implement the right changes to make the world a better place. But I think that people who are, who are sort of climate alarmists, they haven't had a ton of success politically. Unfortunately, they've had more recently. But so they're trying to pursue this by other means, through regulatory means, through investor means. Um, you know, there's sort of an ongoing social battle going on. And most people are not even involved in that debate or that discussion. We're trying to change that at Liberty.
1: Well, and you've got the government right now pushing... This as well, and you've got the Biden administration. We just had a, a bill, of course, go through Congress, pass the Congress uh, to to stop some of this nonsense and stop the federal government pushing this. And of course, the president, who hasn't vetoed anything, decided that that was the bill he he had to veto. Your thoughts on the Biden administration and these policies of trying to continue to push this this ESG and and the impact that that has on average everyday Americans on their four hundred one k plans. I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, the, the short-term impact has just been higher, higher
0: electricity prices, higher gasoline prices, slightly more imported energy, a little bit less American self-sufficiency. So none of them were good and none of them do anything meaningful for climate change. So think when Biden came into office, his first thing was, we're going to stop issuing permits on federal land and we're going to stop the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline that the Canadians had already invested billions of dollars to build a pipeline from Canadian oil fields in eastern Alberta to feed the refineries on the U.S. Gulf Coast that produce gasoline and diesel and asphalt for roads and plastics and all the things that we need for our lives to go around. So instead of getting that oil via pipeline, you know, now it's either trained from Canada or it's imported from Venezuela or Saudi Arabia, that particular kind of heavier oil And we need a large amount of that for the U.S. refineries. So that was just a barrier that hurt Canada and made oil and gas more expensive in our country. And then that not issuing permits on federal lands, the same thing. Look, the cleanest oil and gas production in the world is in the United States. And what did we do? If we make it harder to produce it here, it doesn't change the demand for oil and gas at all. All it does is, well, a little bit less is produced here. And so we import a little bit more from Nigeria or Libya, or it used to be Russia. We're not doing that anymore, but we were until right before this war. So there's no climate upside in producing less oil in the cleanest place and more oil in lower environmental practices. There's no economic benefits, or there's no climate benefits from making oil and gas more expensive. You're just really constraining human lives. Sadly, doing something, even if it's irrational in the name of climate change, is appealing to some segment of voters. Um, I would say not the majority of voters, but the but the progressive or that, you know, climate alarmist left are so influential in the Democratic Party that a lot of political activities
1: are done to appease that group. Chris, I, I think that most Americans, though, don't maybe don't understand the impact that this has over time. Right. And so they're maybe not fully engaged in watching what's happening here. But, you know, it does make a big difference if you earn 1% less on a 401k plan over the life of that 401k plan over 30 years because of these ESG uh, uh, policies and, and folks, you know, driving towards that. That makes a difference in the quality of life they'll have later on when they retire. But how do, how do we get people and the American people engaged on the right side of this issue to understand what's at stake. Yeah, Jeff, you're so right on that. I've been talking mostly
0: about the fact that if you restrict the production or crimp the production of American energy, you make it more expensive. You do, and you make it harder to get. Um, And we've we've seen that. You're raising another point that in these ESG investment funds, if they're going to not invest in the energy sector or invest less in the energy sector, because somehow they think it's less virtuous for the environment to produce energy here and not overseas. Uh, The shale revolution really took off at, say, say 2010, 2011, 12. Since then, we've had this explosion of production of oil and natural gas in the U.S., and the short-term impact of that has been great for consumers, saving over a trillion dollars a year globally on energy prices, but very negative for energy companies. If you produce a product and all of a sudden there's so much more of it, the price goes down. That's great for consumers, not good for oil and gas companies. So the ESG movement really spun up. We're going to not invest and keep money away from American oil and gas companies. At first, it happened in a way that maybe didn't hurt investment returns because those oil and gas companies, their stocks were not performing well. They're doing a great service, bringing more energy. But the price of it was going down. So their, their returns on their invested capital were low. And these ESG funds weren't owning as much as they would normally have of these companies. So, hey, it, it helped returns. But the last two years, that's been totally, di- totally different. That's The strongest economically returning sector in the in, in markets has been the energy sector. And what are all the ESG infa- funds underinvested in? The energy sector. So now they've trailed the returns of just a blind index fund. You, get, you have to pay a premium to get this ESG management and lower investment returns. That, I think, is, as you said, if you're getting 1% or 2% lower return on the investment portfolio that's in your 401k or in your state pension fund, um, you're going to have less money in retirement. You're going to have to work a little bit later. So I think that's gotten more of a public backlash against this ESG thing. Hey, you may have those views, but if you're hurting my retirement, I don't want you to do that. Um, and my whole thing as well is it's not doing good things for the environment. It's not like, well, your investment returns are lower, but at least we're making a world a better place. As I argue in bettering human lives, your investment returns are probably going to be lower. In fact, by definition, they're going to be lower because you're, re- you're shrinking your range of possible investment choices. But you're also making the world a worse place, not a better place. You're making energy more expensive. You're slowing people's rise out of poverty. Um may maybe you could do something that was that was remotely lowering greenhouse gas emissions, but is the value of that greater than the cost of what you're doing and today the math shows compellingly not the costs are much greater than the benefits that's just simply not a not a good pro human policy but maybe in the bigger picture I'm just trying to lay these data, these facts, these numbers out in a readily accessible Format. If you Google bettering human lives, Liberty Energy, you will see this report. It has made quite a splash. And a lot of investment firms have said, Thank you for writing that. Thank you for clarifying these issues. We have investors very hyped up on this stuff. We don't have a good response to them. This is helpful for us to provide information on why maybe their views are not the direction we should head on investment. Maybe that isn't the road to making the world a better place.
1: These seem like the the kind of mistakes that the banking industry made uh, several years ago, and I'll make a comparison. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but you know, you try and loan, if you're a bank, you try and loan money to, to entities and companies that want are good bets and they're going to pay you back, uh, that you're going to be able to, to get your money back plus the interest. And government came in and other entities came in and said, no, you need to just broaden it. You need to lend different areas. And that caused a financial crisis. I mean, this could be the same sort of thing to pension funds. I think of pension funds that, you know, if they overly rely on this, we're lowering the return into a, a significant pension fund for a state, let's say, by 1% over 20 or 30 years. That, that's, that could be a financial catastrophe. Am I missing something here? No, Jeff, and, and I, think you're, I think you make a great point to connect
0: those two. I think they are connected. The, the global financial crisis, so think 2007, eight, nine, global recession, tough times, and what came out of that? Everyone, just the public in general, thought these banks are evil. These banks made stupid decisions. Maybe it was on community lending and housing. Maybe we don't know what it was, but the banks were sort of the center. They were looked at as the bad guys that led to this global financial crisis. So as we came out of that, 2010, 11, 12, I think the banks, part of this was PR. Hey, we've got a bad reputation. We're gonna get increasing government regulation. You know, the the future may not look bleak for us. We gotta do something to change our brand. And the ESG movement really, I believe, is in meaningful part a response to the global financial crisis. People don't like us. Now we're gonna be these virtuous people we're we're not going to be the bad businesses. We're going to be the good businesses that make all those other bad businesses behave. We're going to create an environmental scorecard, a social scorecard, a governance thing, and we're going to be viewed as the good guys. We're, we're part of what people want to see the society change. I think it led the banks into this sort of quasi-political role. Um, and again, a, a, a mistake. The financial crisis was horrible. I will not go into the Various things I think might have caused or didn't cause that, but I think the reaction of the banks by jumping on this ESG bandwagon, the the idea is a few decades old, but they really jumped on this bandwagon a few years after the global financial crisis. And I think the impacts of that, again, are quite negative. Good. do, do other comments, Jeff. One is when they rank all these companies by ESG, ironically, the Chinese and Russian oil and gas production companies. Um And there's large ones that are public that you could buy in the New York Stock Exchange. They all got higher, better ESG scores than Exxon and Chevron and the American oil and wow. gas producers. That's just totally nuts. Yeah. like they, Chevron and Exxon were getting low ratings because they're producing oil and gas. Well, so are the Chinese oil and gas producers. And think about their social policies, um, their concern for their employees, their concern for uh, bettering human lives. They weren't even in the same ballpark. Uh, as Exxon or right. Chevron, but yet they were rated higher. Like that, that's just ridiculous. But of course, really, this was a political U.S. climate change movement, and and nobody got virtue climate change points for protesting Chinese oil company production in China, but they got points for protesting U.S. companies producing in the U.S. Which again just puts the the it just shows the hypocrisy. This isn't really about climate change. This is about a desire for top down control. Um, and for the, the the anointed people to decide what's virtuous and to impose that on the rest of us.
1: Yeah, it it, it that is incredible. I I had no idea. Um, there's a lot of CEOs out there, but not very many pushing back on this. I mean, you're kind of unique in this. I don't know. I'm sure you have a few other examples, maybe of other CEOs of companies that are pushing back on this G uh, this ESG effort, but. Uh, why is it so difficult to get CEOs? It's just easier, I guess, to go along with the social, the 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 social graces that come along with 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 going along with them, right?
0: Yeah, it, it's a great question. And look, I've I've tons of great friends who are great energy company CEOs, and one of my goals is to get them to lean in more, to be honest and to be candid in this dialogue. Some of them have moved that direction. And I'm thrilled by that, but not a lot. I, I think what you say is true, Jeff. For the most part, people say, "Hey, they want to they want to stay out of controversy. They're, maybe they're afraid of being accused a climate denier," as people say about me. But but to me, the point is, there's an easy answer to that. If you know more about climate change than all your critics, well, how can you be a denier? I'm I'm, I'm not a denier. I'm <laughs> right. actually actively trying to engage the public in understanding the basic facts about climate change. Now, one of the reasons people don't like that on the alarmist side is the basic facts show it's real. It's a global phenomenon. We'll need technology to answer this issue, but it's a slow-moving problem, and it's just nowhere near the number one problem in the planet today. But by focusing on it, we're necessarily taking resources away from real, giant, urgent global problems. So I, I am happy to have that debate and discussion. I lay it out in interviews. I lay it out in things I write i'm still I'm still waiting for the people to come back and show me how I'm wrong. Um, that of course, what they really don't like is I'm not wrong, and and maybe some of them know this is true, but it just doesn't feel as good. That simple story that climate change is destroying civilization, that there's evil companies that we can chastise, and that there's good companies we can coddle or subsidize, that just feels so good. But the reality in the world is just more complicated than that, and the fundamental principle that a few people at the top will decide which way society and business should go. That fundamental idea is just wrong, and it's never been a driver of human progress.
1: You know, there's an elitism to all of this, too, that, that sort of really annoys me. And I'll, I guess I'll point that out. If, if, uh, you know, if you're an average, everyday Joe, and you're working and you put money away in your 401k, th- this – this 1% or half a percent or whatever, 2% of lowering uh, your return over the years has a gigantic impact. Now, it may not have an impact if you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, but to the average citizen, it, it really does make a difference. What can the average citizen do to kind of combat this and make sure, number one, that their 401k plan or that, the, that their investments aren't being hurt by this policy? But what can they do to engage and, and, and make a difference on this issue of ESG?
0: Yeah, I think speak up. And number one, they have savings accounts. They, they, yeah, they have investment accounts. They may have 401ks. Ask, what are the principles under which that money is being invested? If I'm in a fund, what's driving that fund? Is that fund trying to maximize the return so I can have the best possible retirement? Is that their only objective? That's good. That should be their only right. objective. But for about a third of the money out there, that's not the only objective. In fact, the objective is to to, to pursue social causes, almost political causes, through funds. Don't don't let people do that with your money. You can do that with your money. You can pursue any set of values or political change. That's that's, that's the key thing about a a free democratic society in America. You should do that with your money, but you shouldn't have other people use your money to pursue their political ends. And I think that's just asking questions of wherever your money's invested, what, what, what's driving that investment thing. And, pro, and you know th- that that's a big government thing right now. Should the government insist that investment funds use this ESG score? But Biden just vetoed a thing, say, you know, there was a bill passed to say we can't do this. Democrats and Republicans voted for that, and then Biden vetoed that because he thinks a small number of people should be able to decide uh, virtue and values and stuff with other people's money. Most people don't agree with that principle. They just don't know it's happening. But it is happening. And it's been happening in growing amounts. But just in the last decade, this, this has exploded on our country. And I, I think there is, but needs to be a continued pushback and to end this using of other people's money to pursue you know, your, your political objectives. I don't want to use other people's money to pursue my political objectives. Not, I'm not going to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and this is another government imposed barrier. That's what this podcast is about. We talk about the government imposing barriers on, on citizens. And this is one of them, right? It's the government take literally taking money away from you and your retirement as an individual uh, citizen, because they believe they can, they know what's best for you. And, and that's, that's certainly wrong. Chris, anything I forgot, how can folks learn more uh, about you about Liberty energy uh, if if they want to know more or, or or get in touch with you?
0: Well, I mean, the best way so we have a libertyenergy website, so there's all sorts of publications and access things there on a personal level. If you google Chris Wright, Liberty Energy on LinkedIn, I'm not much of a social media guy, but I do know it's important. So with the help of my daughter, I have a LinkedIn account, and you know like I've been at CNBC twice in the last week and You know, I write various pieces or interviews, stuff like this. All of that you can access on on the Chris Wright Liberty Energy LinkedIn. The older stuff's not there, but it's probably on the Liberty Energy website. But Jeff, I appreciate the dialogues you're doing. You and I believe this bottom-up social organization, human freedom, human empowerment. That's how we got to this great world we have. We need to preserve that. There's always desire for top-down power. It was by defeating that top-down power in the American Revolution and so many other movements along the way that got us where we are, we can't get complacent and let power be concentrated at the top again. That, that's not the way to better lives.
1: Yeah, it isn't, Chris. And I really appreciate you stepping up and, and doing this and, and dedicating your life to the betterment of, of humanity, really, um, and, and to have the courage to step out on this issue and so many others. So thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks so much, Jeff. My pleasure.
1: Well, thanks to Chris Wright for joining us today. Uh, what what a smart guy. I do want to have him back on so many of those other topics, topics like, you know, American energy and are we making the right decisions? Is the government too into the marketplace and too much into picking winners and losers in our, in the energy sector? So we'll have Chris Wright come back and join us. Uh, that'll be an exciting opportunity. You know, with regard to ESGs, I just have to say this affects every single American as as we were pointing out in that you know your retirement account will be impacted by this by this nonsense that's going on and as if it reduces it just 1% or half a percent that's real to you and most americans don't even understand that that's going on so i would encourage you to make sure that you know you're not paying for that with your financial advisor your 401k plan i'd encourage you to take action and take a look at your 401k and your your company, if they're using that, let them know that you don't want uh, ESG to be uh, to be a part of your 401k plan. Hey, thanks for joining us this week on the podcast. We appreciate it. We'll be back in a few days with another great episode. Thank you for listening to American
0: Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.